Alternative Radio. Welcome to the Ken Mack and Coach JV Show. The future of finance is here. Prepare for freedom. Get ready to swallow the red pill because every week we're bringing you cutting edge, real, uncut, raw truths about finance in the world that you think you know to help you prepare for the biggest shift in generational wealth the world has ever seen. Warriors, rise! Get your shit together. Let's go. Warriors, rise. Man, what a beautiful day to be alive, Warriors. My name is Coach JV. I am the top health, mindset, and crypto coach in the world. Remember what you believe in your heart, you think in your mind will eventually become your words and become your reality. If you can see it in your mind, eventually you can hold it right here in your hands. What you repeatedly do gets ingrained in your subconscious mind. What gets ingrained in your subconscious mind becomes a conscious activity. And the reason why I bring that up is because this is all subconscious mind manifestation. We're sitting here with two legends, legends in the LBO industry. What is so crazy, and I have to share my personal experience, and then I'm going to introduce you to Josh Kim, is um, I got introduced to LBOs through Dan Pena. And so watching all the videos, saw Josh Kim many, many times, and to have him on the channel right now and to have Ken on the channel with me as the partner in this show is absolutely remarkable. And I want to share with you guys, because as you look at these two legends right here, right, they're in the game, but Josh Kim's also going to break it down to not make it too complex. So when we look at what they're doing right now, you may think it's so far outside of the realm for you. But remember, Warriors, I was broke two years ago. I flipped my subconscious mind, started studying what the billionaires and multimillionaires are doing, and I've completely changed my life in just two short years. And now here we are sitting with two legends in the LBO space. I already have my first LBO in the pipeline. It is possible. Remember, scarcity is only your belief in it. Now, you can't just sit on your ass and sit on your hands and imagine a Ferrari and see if it's going to show up at your house. You have to put the work in, Warriors. But hopefully today we can work with Josh Kim and, and uh, Ken here to demystify the whole LBO and the financial wealth and generational wealth building. But I'll tell you what, Warriors, this is the greatest time in human history, the greatest time in human history, the biggest shift in generational wealth. And it's your fault. It's your fault that if 10 years from now, you don't take advantage of the biggest shift in generational wealth. That's what the elites are doing. So you may as well join the game where so I'm excited and honored to have Josh Kim. So Josh Kim, we'd love for you to introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, thanks, JV. It's been uh, great to visit here to buy. This is my first time here uh, well, with, with Ken. I know you're back in Arizona, um, but it's great to be on. I've heard a lot about you from Ken, seen snippets and pieces from the content you guys put up on on your channel as I have time. But uh, to anyone who's not familiar with me, I, I, you know, I, I went to the castle. I learned from Dan, you know, the whole art of mergers, acquisitions, LBOs, whatever you want to call it, business purchasing. Um, I, I think a lot of people, they get mentally psyched up by these big terms, leverage, buyout, and this and that. And it's like, at the end of the day, you're just, you're buying a business, right? And those are getting financed all the time in the States. But um, I went through his training. I had to figure out a lot of like more, you know, Dan, ha Dan has the, the structure for how to get it all done, but you still have to do the legwork to fill in some of the gaps to make it work for your specific situation, you know, because the, the loan programs and options that are available in the United States, they're not available in the UK and there's different things here and there. So you just got to figure out how it all works. But, um, you know, I bought my first business at 19. I ended up buying three businesses um, before I could legally drink, before I turned 21, I bought three businesses in a uh, in a healthcare space, and we can talk more about healthcare because I've got a 
lot of interesting opinions about what's going on in the world in the healthcare space. But, um, you know, bought those businesses, ran them for a while. And, uh, you know, eventually just found I, I, I didn't really enjoy running them uh, for a variety of reasons. We can get into that later. But, um, you know, some of the other businesses that I've been working on as of late, I'm helping a, um, a good friend of mine raise money for a SPAC. Um, so for anyone who's not familiar with the SPAC, it's a, it's a reverse public offering. You got, you raise the money and then you acquire a company. So, um, similar to a lot of the basic principles that Dan talks about with LBOs and buyouts, having the right team around you and stuff. Um, so I'm working on that project. And then, you know, the, the main project I'm working on right now is actually a consulting business, a financial consulting company where we're pretty much just helping other people who are wanting to buy businesses or who have existing businesses find financing. Because I, when I went through that process myself, I, um, and I learned how difficult it is to find the right banks to work with you. So that's a little bit about me. Um, I'm 24 now and, uh, you know, love and life. I'm, you know, like I said, this is my first time in Dubai here seeing a, you know, an entirely new world. I mean, you think there's money in like New York city or LA or, you know, uh, Brickell, Miami, and then you come here to Dubai and, you know, it just, it looks like a motel six, even the nicest areas of, of the U S so very interesting, uh, you know, place to be and, and see stuff. But yeah, that's, that's a little bit about me and kind of my background, my experience with Dan, my experience with uh, the world of acquisitions and um, hope that gives anyone the audience who isn't familiar with me, some, some, some good general background. Yeah. So let's, okay. So first of all, I agree with you, Dubai. I'm still like enthralled with Dubai. So number two, let's back up just a moment. So you bought your first businesses at 19 years old. I think that's the biggest yeah. thing I did. I'm 45 years old. I just started getting my shit together. What at 40, I finally started to realize what's happening. I started to take the red pill and open up my mind, but people, the biggest thing they say is it seems so difficult. And so the thing is, well, I don't have business experience. I don't know how to run a business. So at 19 years old, how difficult was it for you to acquire your first business? I, I would be lying if I told you that it would be easier at like 30 with, you know, eight or nine years of, of practical work experience in some related space, you know, compared to buying it at 19. But what I did is, you know, what we have to realize is there's there are certain things that banks and financial institutions are looking for in getting a deal done. So, like, I don't have any SPAC experience. Right. So like me going to go raise money for a SPAC, it, it wouldn't be as strong. Like, yeah, I have some good general deal experience, but not to the level to go raise a one hundred million dollar SPAC per se. But, you know, one of my partners who's kind of leading it, he has. And so when we sit down with people and we have conversations, we're, we're having a conversation based on someone who's run that business before, who's done that kind of deal. And so when I was 19, I obviously didn't have any experience, especially in a highly regulated healthcare industry that I ended up buying the businesses in. So I brought in a partner of mine who had some experience in, you know, in the space, he ended up not actually being that good of an operator of, of that business. But, you know, he was the administrator for a company that, you know, had done about 10, $20 million a year for a couple of years um, and held a, you know, a pretty, you know, a, a pretty competent managerial role. So for him to come uh, from that business and go run a $3 million a year business, it was a very easy sell to the bank, right? Because he had, he literally run that exact type of company in that same area, and, you know, he knew for the most part what he was doing. So it was it was difficult for sure. I had to overcome the age gap because it's like, OK, well, you don't have any experience. So where's the experience coming from? But one of the one of the nice things that I've learned and I did learn and I, I tell a lot of the people that we work with in the consulting capacity 
you know, the bank needs to see experience and, you know, a 10% down payment most of the time for a business purchase, but neither of those need to come from you. So if you bring in an investor and you bring in an operating partner, you've done the work of bringing the deal together. You're the person who orchestrated the transaction. And so, you know, you're, you're still creating value by bringing those people together, giving them leadership. And so kind of what you're talking about before, like, you know, how do you, how do you do that? It's like, you don't have to run that business. You don't have to be someone to do, you know, to run it. Now, in my case, the, the guy that I brought in wasn't that good at operating it. So I had to learn how to run it. And that's kind of what I was saying. I, I wasn't really a fan of the industry, but, um, you know, just because you don't have experience or you don't have the, you know, the, the equity injection that a bank might want to get a deal done. It doesn't mean you can't get an investor. It doesn't mean you can't bring in someone else who has more experience to run that business. Right. So what I'm trying to tell the guys is buying a business uh, is all every, everything in my life has been about leverage. And what Josh has just explained to everybody watching this now is that he has leveraged somebody that's got experience putting a SPAC together who's here in Dubai, who I had dinner with two nights ago, who, you know, these, these guys are out there raising a hundred million. They've raised half of that 50 million like that. And, and, and one thing I will say, raising a hundred million dollars is actually less incremental effort than it is to raise 1 million because raising a hundred million dollars doesn't take a hundred times more energy. If anything, because it's a bigger dollar amount, it's actually easier because you, you know, a project of that size, a lot of the risk components of a smaller deal aren't there. And so that's, that's kind of one of the other things that I, I like to tell people is they, they, they build these own barriers in their head around certain numbers. Like, oh, well, I can't buy a business above a million dollars. Like I'm not going to pay more than a million dollars for my first business. Cause I can't do that. And I tell them, well, a lot of times it might be easier to go buy a three or $4 million company because they're bigger. They're netting more profit. They have more assets. There's more, there's more to back it. Right. So that's, you know, that's one of the big things that, you know, I, I, I'm sure Ken has said, but, um, but yeah, you know, when you have an experienced team who knows how to run those types of deals, it's, 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 it's simple. You know, I, I don't have the direct SPAC experience, but I know enough about it and I have relationships and I've been able to do some legwork to create some value there. I, I would not have gotten involved with it if I didn't think I could add some value, but, um, but yeah, that's kind of what Ken was saying. One thing is, so I got to ask, okay, so 19 years old. So share with me a little bit about your past, if you don't mind, like how you grew up and how did you get to the point at 19 years old? Most kids at 19 years old are out partying, going to college, having a great time, but you're buying you're buying companies like how did you get to from that point a to point b like at 19 years old that's that's remarkable man yeah well i i went to the i went to the seminar um right before i turned 18 so actually i bought the business about a year and a half after i attended the seminar um it, if i could go back I, I would have been able to get it done a bit quicker because i was looking at some other industries first before settling on the one that i ended up settling on but um i was homeschooled so that afforded me, you know, more time because I finished my high school early. I had done some college stuff ahead of time. And um, yeah, I, I, I kind of realized because I did very well with school that it, it wasn't the end all. Like, you know, doing well in school is not going to be any sort of determinant of where, you know, where you go with your life. Because I've met plenty of smart people who, you know, who had no formal background, right? I mean, you, you had no formal no. education background and Ken's been able to do very well for himself and you know, I've, I've got other guys that I know that, you know, they've, they've got masters of, of science degrees in like engineering and they, they're very, very successful in whatever businesses they have. So but they're financially stupid. Well, not necessarily. Some, some, some are, but, um, you know, 
some, some, some people, if they're educated, you know, it, it basically my point is it doesn't matter. I, there's, there's people who, who make it very well yeah. with that, uh, without an education. There's also people who have an education do well. There's also people who get an education with, and do well with their education, but do piss poor with everything else in life That's because they're I mean, financially illiterate, like you were saying. Yeah. The, a lot of the very intellectual people that I've come across, they are some of the most financially stupid people, um, because they have an education in being a good employee. Yeah. But they don't have an education in money, in finance, in economics. Um, but yes, we live in a funny world. You know, they've taken the red, sorry, they've taken the blue pill, but you've taken the red pill at a very early age. Do you think being homeschooled has helped you? That's what I was going to ask. That's what I was going to ask. Yeah. I, I think, I think yes, yes and no, not, not more so because being homeschooled let me have a lot of free time to pursue things that I wanted. And, you know, especially, you know, some of the extracurricular things that I did that I think added a lot of, like I did speech and debate for several years. I was very good at it. Um, you know, so I, I don't like to boast, but I have very good communication skills. I can talk very well. I can present very well. I don't get nervous standing up in front of hundreds of people and talking. And I attribute a lot of that to having the time because I was homeschooled to go put into extracurriculars like that. Cause I mean, obviously, uh, a speech and debate league, you can't do it with just your siblings. So I, I think being homeschooled gave me a lot of flexibility with my time that then allowed me to, you know, put effort into certain areas of my life that have benefited me a lot. Um, you know, cause I, I was, I was still only, I was 17 when I went to the, you know, the, the seminar, I, I like literally just finished up my high school and stuff, but, um, I, I was working a full time. I got a job at a tech startup right out of high school in, in California. Um, and that's basically how I paid my bills while I was searching for an acquisition. I saved up some money. I moved out to California, lived in a tiny, tiny little apartment. I walked to, you know, I walked to the, my office cause I got, it was, it was so close and I didn't want to have to buy a car. Uh, but being homeschooled kind of afforded me some, some time there. And because I had done a lot of my college ahead of time, like I, I had already half completed college by the time I was 18. Like I had half the credits I needed to do it. So I, I think it, it definitely did help, but not directly more, more indirectly with some of the other things part of it. That's amazing. So looking at, so like you got Ken Mack and you got Josh Kim here. So totally two different environments, right? How you went into LBOs. Is there a big difference in the way you guys learned how to do LBOs? Is there a lot of similarities in the, in the way you like learning the Dan Pena model and then Ken, how you did yours? I would say that the uh, like I don't fully understand the QLA model because I haven't studied it. But at the end of the day, um, these are leveraged buyouts. You know whether you do what Josh has done and you're using some of the government-backed loans in the USA, uh, you know the SBA loans. It's a leveraged buyout. So there are many different ways that you can put one of these deals together. So I think the principles are the same. Would you say, Josh? A lot of the principles are the same. I mean. Really, to, to break it down to the most simple, simple piece, does the profit of the business generate enough cash flow to pay for the loan that you take out to buy it, either seller financing or from a bank? When you're looking at a rental property, if, if you know that your payment on that is going to be, let's say, $3,000 a month, you're, you're not going to buy a property where you, you, you're only going to be collecting $2,700 a month in rent. That wouldn't make any sense, right? Because you need to have extra cash, both for the cash flow, the maintenance, the insurance, you know, homeowners association, whatever fees you have. It's the same basic principle. If you're going to buy a business 
and the way, you know, how much they're asking for the business and the way you would have to borrow money. So you have to borrow $700,000 for it. And you're going to pay $80,000 a year in debt on it. Well, if the business only makes $80,000 a year, that doesn't work. And so to boil it down to as absolutely simple of a concept as possible, you just have to make sure the business nets enough to cover whatever the loan payment is. And if you talk to any banker worth their salt, specifically like an SBA banker who does these deals all the time, they'll tell you the first thing they check for. Like they can tell you if they can finance a deal in like three to five minutes of, of getting kind of a financial package to look at it. They're looking at does the profit of the business cover the cash flow? You know, is there somebody in the business that's got relevant experience who can run it? And, um, you know, do, do they feel comfortable with the borrowers, right? You know, did they, do they have background issues, right? You know, do they have drug issues in the past? Is their credit okay? Like that, that's really all it comes down to. And so, you know, I, I think our, I got a more quote formal education from somebody who synthesized it and boiled it down into a very specific method with Dan, um, you know, but Ken kind of learned it from just having, having to jump in the trenches yourself and figure it out along yeah, the way. Yeah, I just so, learned from the street of a desperation. You know, like for me, it was, uh, <clears throat> there was no other option. You know, I had to, I was unemployable. So I had to buy a business to learn how to do business. So, you know, for me, it was no option. And it just turned out that it was during a recession in 2007, you know, between 2007, 2009, I didn't even know what a recession was. Um, but, you know, as Dan says, um, you know, what's coming is, um, you know, what, what, let's say what happened in the past, the, the depression of 1929 is not a fart in the wind in the cosmos of time compared to what's coming. And I just love that expression that Dan, um, you know, the way that he explains that. And it's exactly what my understanding is of what's coming, that it's, you know, what happened in the past is not a fart in the wind in the cosmos of time. When you look at the stock market overvaluation right now, and it's something that we can get into just, uh, you know, later on in the show and just speaking about the opportunity, about what's happening with the current crisis and how to turn that into opportunity. But before we do that, and I've got a few questions myself that I wanted to ask uh, Josh. Is there anything else, yeah. folks, that you would like to, uh, to ask Josh? Yeah, no, go jump in there. Yeah, once you're done, I'll, I'll ask some questions. So I think one of the questions people keep asking me is like industry specific. Everybody's like, you know, everybody's like, oh my gosh, you know, it's it's everybody can feel the collapse coming, right? We're talking about the overvalued stock market, the dollars deflating, the deflating US dollar, uh, you know, the Evergrande thing, everything's happening. So in our just overbroke paradigm that we were raised in this indoctrination system, people can't even fathom buying a business during this time. Right. So that was, that was a question I had is like, you know, is it, is this time the best time to buy a business? I, I think, I think right now is one of the best times to borrow um, money for sure. I think, you know, so one of the things that they were doing in the U S is when you take out a, an SBA, like a bank loan, you know, typically they, they, the way the SBA works, it's basically a government insurance fund, right? They just insure all the loans by collecting a small like 3% fee from every single loan that gets pulled out. So if, if you're borrowing a million dollars, well, your, your loan's probably going to be more like a million 30,000 because they roll in a you know 3% fee and they collect that and they use it to pay out the loans that go bad. Anyway, they were waiving that. So they weren't collecting that. And they were also paying the first three months of the loan for you. So if you got a loan, the government was actually paying the first three months of the loan for you. They were paying you to borrow money. Um, some other stuff going on right now in the States there, you know, the economic injury disaster loans, the EIDL loans that a lot of people in the States are, you know, maybe you've heard about it. I'm sure you've heard about it over there. The EIDL loans, they're, they're giving people $2 million over 30 years 
at like 3.75%. And they're not even really looking at whether or not the business is going to be able to support that payment down the road. That business could be fundamentally fucked, not going to be able to pay it back, but they still are giving out the money. It's crazy. And so, you know, with that in mind, I think now is the easiest time to get money just because there's so much of it floating around. I mean, you know, with my consulting business, we're, you know, we're running ads, we're, we're getting people who have existing businesses, want to buy businesses, whatever. And I can't tell you the number of people that we've talked to who are like, my business is shot through the roof. Like I can't keep up. I need money because I can't keep up with the growth. And so you have, it's easy to borrow money. And you also have like, there's a lot of industries where they're just, they're booming. There's obviously a lot of industries that are really crushed and they're probably not going to come back um, even close to what they were before, if ever, um, or, you know, or they'll just have a slow recovery, but there's a lot of business models out there where they're on the uptick. Um, and the money is flowing so much right now, both with consumers and with the governments to, to businesses and stuff. I, I think now is the best time ever. And if you look at the interest rates about like what the SBA loan interest rates, which they're all tied back to the prime rates that, you know, the wall street journal prime fed interfund rates, all that, um, it's, it's, it's one of the lowest rates that it's ever been like ever. And, um, you know, if you can't, if you can't make money right now, I mean, the maximum interest rate on an SBA loan right now is 6%, which is inflate. Like that's the same as what inflation is. So you're literally borrowing money for free that, yeah, you're paying interest quote unquote, but because of the inflation you're, you know, it basically balances out. You're borrowing money for free right now when you factor that in. So it's crazy. Yeah. It's amazing. It's just all about shifting the paradigm. So Ken, that's all I got. If you want to pop in there. Yeah, no worries. We'll just uh, switch spaces there, Josh. Yeah, no worries. Yeah, so if you guys are pretty, let me, I'll just uh, get you to go over to my right there. Otherwise, our microphone is going to collapse. Okay. So if you guys appreciate the content that we're sharing with you all, if you could go ahead, please, and turn the like button. Great, because it's very important that we get this information out to as many people as we can because there's so many young people that are reaching out to me. They're inspired by Josh because they want to know how to do this themselves. So that's a big deal, guys. You can do a good deed by helping us get this information out to the world, especially in a time like now, because right now is a crisis opportunity where we can ethically turn crisis into profit. So I want to just speak to you guys about uh, the 99%, because we're very focused on the red pill and the blue pill, which is the the 1% and the 99%. So what happens during a crisis, guys? People get fearful. People scatter. People go into survival. They become dependent. They become more suggestible, okay? And they're easier to control when they're in fear, people lose their job, their houses, their partners. So where is the opportunity, guys? Now, as a, you know, I call him a mentor, Warren Buffett, as I read a lot of his material. As he says, you want to buy the fear and you want to sell the greed. So just think about time, like a technical chart, where we see lots of blood on the street and these big high, uh, the big high Kanashi candles on the crypto charts flashing red. And that is the time, my friends, that you want to buy. That's the time when you want to buy in the market of buying a business. Let's say you're going to buy, well, I was going to say a lot of properties going through the roof just now, but people are scared. And you can buy these businesses for a 1x multiple. So when people are fearful, you can buy these businesses for a rock bottom multiple. And you can keep these businesses until the economy stabilizes and sell the businesses for a significant multiple more 
than what you've paid for them. Now, just going rewinding back to uh, when I was buying during 2007, I was buying a 1X and I was selling between a 3 and a 5X. And that was during the, the recession. Um, and, you know, they say, I, I don't know um, if that was the, the worst crisis since 1929, but that's what they say. And uh, I honestly didn't have any issues whatsoever. Now, leaving this opportunity, guys, and not doing anything about your current situation now, until, you know, leaving it until 2025, it's too late. Right now is the time to take action. You don't go into the crypto markets and start buying when the, uh, uh, the, the crypto prices are sky high because that's when the, the most people or the market takes the most amount of money from the most amount of people. You want to come in when there's a lot of fear and blood in the street and buy right now. So you guys can easily go out there and do what I've done in 2007 to 2009 and buy companies. I was buying cleaning businesses with zero cash. We call it a leveraged buyout. So there's absolutely nothing stopping you guys. And there's Josh, you know, raising a SPAC as well. No experience. He's using leverage. And he spoke about leveraging people's knowledge, other people's knowledge, bringing partners to the table who have got the expertise to bring to the table and go out there and support his journey. So everything is about leverage. If you don't have this, if you don't have the, the skills yourself in that particular industry, then you bring a partner to the table who's got that industry expertise. So that's just something that I wanted to, to touch on, guys. But if, if I can jump in, one, yeah. one thing that I think is very important to realize, you know, a lot of people, and I was like this initially, like I, I thought that I had to know a lot of things. You know, when people had questions, I had to know how to answer it. You know, and part of it was just I, I, I was having to deal with the whole age issue and you know, the whole age difference. And that was the uphill battle I was fighting. But some of the things that I, I, I would tell you now is that some of the most successful and well-off friends that I have, they are very transparent about, hey, I, I'm really good at this, you know, this little circle of the world. This, this is my sphere of excellence. This is what I'm good at. Everything outside of this, I don't know about it. And I don't, I, I, I'm not going to understand it. They're very open about it. And so, you know, just as you're, as you're on your hunt for your acquisitions, don't feel like you have to know everything. I mean, you're, that's, that's one sure way to just um, fuck yourself in the process. Just be very transparent. You know, like when, you know, when my partner approached me to talk about this SPAC opportunity, I said, Hey, like, I don't know um, a lot of specifics about SPACs. I know general, I know generally how they work. And I have some relationships with people who uh, can, you know, put us in front of some investors who might be able to commit some capital to it. I'll help with some of the legwork on it, but I would be very interested in just getting involved so I can learn more because I don't know. Right. And so it's, it's the same thing as you're searching for a business when people say, Oh, well, do you know how to run this business? You don't have to know everything about it. Right. It, it, it doesn't make, doesn't make any sense. If, if you knew everything about the business, you, you'd probably have one already. Right. So just, just one of the things I wanted to drop in there for you guys as you're, as you're working on it. Yeah, that's great info. I think it, that's the thing too. Like one that I'm looking at, right. is in the trucking company. I've never, <laughs> never driven a truck, never been a commercial driver, anything like that. And I'm looking at someone who modifies commercial trucks and has a massive amount of demand. And it was just, when I opened the conversation, people are now approaching me saying, Hey, is this a good LBO? Is this a good LBO? When you start the conversation and then you start to look for me, I'm, I'm a business owner. I've, you know, five startups and that's probably the hardest thing in the world to do with startups. I mean, we've done very, very well. It was a lot. I spent my whole 401k 
you know, <laughs> relationships being broken up. And here I am now going, wow, I could buy someone else's hard work and profit. And it, I, it's just such an interesting dynamic to me. And then when you open up the line of communication, you start to look differently at things. When I'm driving down the road, I'm looking at businesses going, okay, would that be an essential business, something that would survive the test of time? Number one. Number two, is it something that I could I could get involved in, right? And then now I'm looking at, you know, as it Nibita or was it Nibita? Nibita, I'm learning the, the terms and understanding, like being able to look at documentation and stuff like that. So that's one of the biggest questions I get is people like, man, how is it possible for me? Um, so that's one of the biggest things. Just start to open up your mind, study. Like that's why I was watching the Dan Pena thing. And then I found Ken Mack came on for an interview for our show. And then all of a sudden I'm like, this is my mentor. Right. And it happens very quickly once you dive into it, like cryptocurrency. I, I'm an ex-banker for 12 years, an executive at a bank. I could not even fathom that they taught us that cryptocurrency was a fraud. So I had to reprogram my subconscious mind to understand cryptocurrency. Now I'm a, I feel like I'm a cryptocurrency expert right now. I'm going into LBOs and it was a whole. So what I'm trying to explain to people is, is sink into that fear and that uncomfortable feeling of learning and growing into something new because you don't, like you said, you don't have to have all the answers. I don't have all the answers for LBOs, but I have the right people around me. And now we got Josh Kim and Ken Mack, two legends in the LBO environment. And that's just, it's just by going into that uncomfortable zone and you're going to make some mistakes too. So I think that's a powerful thing too. So just, that's, we try to encourage the everyday people that this is possible for you. And I keep telling people, this is the time. Like there's never, I keep saying that there's never been a time like this in human history. Won't, it won't happen in my kids' times, my daughter's time was 17 and my five-year-old son's time, in my opinion. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely a once in a, once in a generation situation that we're going through right now. You see, just before the, um, I just want to drop something in there, before the whole uh, pandemic, um, whatever you want to call it, situation, um, for me, the opportunity was capitalizing on the baby boomer. So for me, that was the greatest transfer of wealth that the world had ever seen. And Dan Pena was pushing this way before yeah. the, um, uh, the 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 C thing uh, that, that's happening in the world just now. So you know, for me, the the opportunity was it's uh, now it's worth about seventy eight to eighty trillion is going to change hands in the mergers and acquisition space. So the M and A space is absolutely booming right now. That's you know, M and A buying businesses selling businesses so yeah. the opportunity is massive and we can all capitalize on this opportunity you do not need to be a business buying expert you don't need to be somebody that's good their qualifications are from a corporate background you just need to be a dude with a or a girl with a willingness to learn a, a belief in yourself um, and an open mind that's all that you need and you need to, of course to take the red pill and take a step into the real world and what they were pushing uh, you know, that what was ringing the alarm bells for me in school was the big bad world that we're pushing the, the, this phrase, a big bad world. I thought it just doesn't look so big and bad. It looks exciting. Like I want to go out to the jungle and experience this for myself, not go back into a, And I sent you a picture the other day, uh, Coach, on WhatsApp, and it was comparing the correction of facilities in the USA to the, the schools. To I the schools. One, yeah. It's crazy how similar that it is. It's a conditioning system. So, um, yeah, I, I thought, okay, I'm going to go out there and learn how to do this for myself because alarm bells were ringing and it was the best decision that I ever made. And Josh is the perfect example of a young guy that went at 17 or 18 years of age to Dan Pena's castle who learned how to buy businesses himself. So, does, so the age doesn't matter. Buying businesses does not discriminate. As long as you have the right people, people around you, 
know, I was buying commercial cleaning businesses, so you know, it's pretty straightforward business. The businesses had infrastructure in them, so I didn't need to bring an industry expert, but you know, like buying the football club or the manufacturing companies, I did. Um, so then there are so many different opportunities out there in, you know, for those of you guys who want to jump on that opportunity and learn without having to spend too much money, you can join the business buying challenge, five days of mentoring. And it's currently at, I think it's 77 pounds. So you can say it's a black Friday opportunity before we raise the prices. So you can get that uh, coach JV will pop it along the bottom of the screen for you guys. It's the businessbankchallenge.com. You can listen to all of the live recorded sessions and you can experience it firsthand, take away all of the information that you learn, and you can put this into practice from day six. So I have people buying businesses, guys, with this five-day inexpensive program. This was selling for one and a half thousand. It has been reduced already, so we physically can't reduce it anymore. So it is a Black Friday opportunity. So grab the last few seats before we put the prices up. I think it's a a very good first step for those of you who want to learn how to buy a business. And do not be scared. Buying a house is like buying a business with a few more mechanics attached. You're leveraging the apartment. You're leveraging the villa. You're leveraging the business and raising a loan against the business. It would be very strange for you to go and buy a house and not have a seller agree to you, allowing uh, you know allowing you to take a mortgage over the house. So it's like when you're buying a business, it would be strange for the seller to not allow you to use leverage to buy their business. It's like somebody saying, I don't want you to buy, buy my house with no money down. Okay. Bye-bye. I'll go and find another one. Same in the business buying world. When you're dealing with a mature seller, which is usually a business that's going to be plus 1.4 million in revenue, they will know what a leverage buyout is. If you're dealing with a one-man band, it could be a different story. So... That's why I'm telling my guys, you are better to deal with businesses that are, you know, $5 million more in revenue. You know, the lowest that I would go is 1.4 because you're looking for structure. You're looking for a business that's got substance. It's got a, it's got foundations. You've got a team around you because, you know, there's a misconception. We're speaking about this in the boot camp Nexus that, um, you know, you don't want to come in there and buy yourself a job because this is what's ingrained in their subconscious mind. The programming is we are going through the schooling system to be pumped out as good employees. So for me, it was weird buying revenue. I learned how to buy revenue. I had this commercial cleaning business. I was like, okay, this is a bit weird. I I felt like I should be doing something in the business. I felt like I should be doing something. So, you know, watching as many of these shows and making sure that you don't miss any um, any of the weekly shows that we're putting out there is very important, guys, because we're going to be continually putting information out there to help you buy a business with no money down. So I think one thing, too, I want to ask you guys both a question on is, so, for example, I think of myself, the business that I built, the Warrior Cat. I have five five companies, like subsidiary companies. I have a supplement company. A lot of the brand was built off of me, the Warrior, right? And so I tell everybody I'm a horrible buyout, a horrible leverage buyout, because if they bought my company out, you have to replace me as the brand, right? And so what is a good industry to get into? What would be a good, like, for example, I'm thinking, you know, the gym industry would probably be a bad industry to get into. I'm just thinking of stuff, still learning. I, I tell him he's Mr. Miyagi, I'm Karate Kid, right? So the way that my brain is quickly learned by going through the Nexus program is understanding I'm looking at manufacturing. That's, that's I just decided, Ken, I'm focusing on just manufacturing. I'm going to hyper-focus on manufacturing companies, uh, plastics, cardboards, things like that. Um, so what are some industries you guys are looking at 
that. Um, cause like, I think people, when they think of buyout there, you know, they're running around the streets. Oh, I'm going to go buy a smoothie shop, you know, something like that. I just trying to, trying to help people understand what industries are you guys looking at and what, what would be a viable business in this economy? You want to go first? Where'd you go? Um, so myself, like one, one of the things that I would share for the audience is that <clears throat> you have to be able to be passionate about the business that you buy, because if, if you don't have that passion, like you're going to have to run the fucking thing, right? For the first deal, you're probably going to have to buy a smaller business or something like, obviously after you've bought a couple, you'll have more resources, connections, relationships, experience, you'll be able to get bigger deals done. But for the first deal, you're probably going to do a smaller deal. And so you're going to have to, at some point, probably get into the operations, unless you have a lot of cash available, you know, to, to help with the down payment, or you've got a really good network, or you've got some related experience. Um, what I would say is you, you have to find a business that you can have some passion about and, and like. And so for myself personally, uh, just financial services, professional services, and fintech are, are what I'm looking into because I like the margins, right? I'm, I'm involved with a a tax credit related business where we, you know, we basically just go in and we help companies find unclaimed tax credits. And we just take a percentage of whatever the savings are that we find, but you know, that, that business overall, we, you know, we make like 80%, you know, 20% of the revenue that's coming in is going to pay the accounts to do the work and this and that uh, that's, that's our gross profit. Obviously our net profits, not as the net profits, not as high because there's marketing expenses and other expenses that go with it. But you know, the, the point is, I like that business. I understand it. I'm very good with numbers. I'm very good with technical deal structuring and stuff like that. So it's a business that I feel like I can add value to. You know, if, if I were to go out there and get into a supplement business, I, I wouldn't be able to add that much value. I don't know much about uh, the fitness industry. I don't know much about, um, you know, marketing online, which that's how most supplement companies are marketing these days, right? Just on, on their e-commerce website. So I, I try to find things where I can add value in my area of expertise, the stuff that I've, I'm good at, you know, with, with a couple of years of experience that I have, by the way, I don't think I know anything when it comes to getting deals done. I don't think I know anything. Like I know nothing really compared to a lot of the other guys that I deal with. Um, and I, I'm open about it. Like, like, this is what I'm really good at. I'm good at this kind of stuff. And so I'm able to still bring a lot of value to things because I can look at the way that a, a business runs with professional and financial services and I can add value. So, a lot of people always want to know what kind of what kind of industry can I get into? Well, you know, if, if you're an accountant, it would probably make sense to get into something financial, right? You know, a financial planning business, a, an accounting business, something like that. Um, if you are big into the industry, fitness industry, like yourself, I mean, you the businesses that you're in, um, fitness, gyms, um, supplement companies, stuff like that, that makes a lot of sense for you because you have some passion there. And so you don't have to be passionate about stuff. I mean, I don't, I don't know many people who are no, I agree with you. passionate about a commercial cleaning I, business. I agree with you, man. It's a I, uh, other things, right? I, I hate football. When I bought a football club, I didn't know anything about football. I had industry experts around me. Uh, but for me, my passion is entrepreneurship and business yep. and uh, wealth creation. So, you know, you, you've hit the nail on the head with that one. Yeah. So it, it doesn't matter. I'd say that the, the industry, when you look at an industry though, you need to see like, is that a business that's been growing? Is that a, is that a business that has not been adversely affected by, uh, you know, lockdown orders, just travel restrictions, whatever, like it would probably not be the best time right now to be buying, um, you know, like a, like an indoor family entertainment business in California, because they still have a lot of restrictions. You can't have too many people inside. So, you know, they're kind of opening this and that, but um, it'd be much better to go, 
hey, I, I know a lot of people we're working with, at least on the SBA financing side, they're, they're purchasing businesses or getting financing for businesses in like home services. So HVAC, plumbing, electrical. We've seen several businesses that doubled through through the pandemic. They, they doubled their, their annual sales through the pandemic and they need more money to sustain growth. So there's there's a lot of different things you can get into. And, and, and I, I would really encourage people not to try to pigeonhole it to a specific industry. Either you have to have a lot of good people around you to get a deal done in a space that um, you can either you directly can add value to, or some of the other people around you can add value to and know about. Because if, if you know if you bring a bunch of people in who don't know anything about a cybersecurity business and you buy a cybersecurity business, you're 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 going to have a bad time. It's not going to go well. Yeah, that makes sense. yeah, totally agree with you. Um, you know, you you can be industry agnostic. You don't need to. Um, you know, pigeonhole yourself into one particular industry, but uh, you know, I was putting these ideas uh, together the other week uh, for uh, our bootcamp guys, and you know, the first uh, industries that were coming to my head was we're in a crisis-style situation. We don't know when it's going to end, so we need to be able to, uh, as entrepreneurs, think around the corners, what's going to happen in the future, and make sure that the businesses that we buy are going to be unaffected um, or relatively unaffected by. Um, the, the the situation if it continues as it is so i was thinking in terms of healthcare home health you know i know that you're, you're not so much a fan these days of the home healthcare industry but logistics distribution manufacturing those, those are, yeah i was going to say too logistics and distribution i can't tell you the number of trucking and transportation related businesses that have uh, come through for financing and and I, I have a very good pulse of what businesses are on the up because you know, my business, we don't cater exclusively to acquisitions. We cater to a lot of businesses who are just looking for financing in general. So I see a lot of financials. I see a lot of the trends, trucking, distribution, logistics, home service, yeah. e-commerce. Those are all very hot industries that have done nothing but go up. And so if you, you know, if you take a dart and you throw it at a board with, with that space, you, you should have a pretty easy time. A lot of the supply chain disruption and some of the other macro issues that are affecting the country, well, you know, in the U.S. and the world, really, because uh, I know most of the audience here is from the states, um, it would be tough to miss if you were able to, you know, get into a transportation logistics business. Those those make a lot of money. Just you know, commercial trucking. A lot of people they they look down and you know, oh, you, well, you don't want to be a trucker when you grow up. Well, guess what? The trucker makes more than you. The trucker makes more than your mom that's telling you that. They work three days a week, and you know, they've got a great life. And so I think that's anyway. That, that's just my rant on that because you have distribution logistics here on the screen. It's a great business to get into. From all the numbers that I've seen, yeah, I know that the the, uh, the FedEx routes you call you, you call them routes in the USA. Yeah. They they've increased in value, believe it or not, during the pandemic because the businesses are booming. Yep. So it's a yeah, fantastic business. Marketing agencies are good because what does every business need? It is an accountant uh, and a marketing agency. You do not need to be an accountant to buy an accountancy practice. You just need to have the right people around you in that business, and you're going to be working above the business, not in the business or on. The business so marketing companies accountancy services um meal preparation companies is going to be big because more people are going to get um food i suppose delivered to their house um during a, a crisis style situation even me i get a lot of food delivered to my house these days um vet services you know more people are buying dogs so um <laughs> Yeah, I think you bought one yourself. Yeah, yeah. I got. I have. I have three dogs actually. Three dogs yeah. and uh, vaccinations and food and toys. It you know it adds up. But you can't put a price on your pet. You you got to you know you whatever is wrong with your pet, you got to spend the money. So vet vet services. Yeah. 
essential goods and services, mobile home, RV parks. They're booming in the USA. They're booming yeah. and uh, in education. Yeah, I was looking at mobile home parks. I can't find any for sale in Arizona. It's wild. I, that place is booming. It's tied up out here. So that's awesome. It's there's good to see. Lot, there's a lot of competition in that space. For, for an acquisition, unless you've got half a million to a million bucks to yep. put down, it's going to be very difficult to find a deal there because um, every mobile home park owner is getting letters day after day after day. After oh, day. yes. And you're competing with people who are sitting on half a billion dollars, and they don't care that their annual rate of return is 7%. Yeah, that's a good return for them. They don't care. They will outbid you and they will pay 100% cash. They won't take, you know, so that's the other thing I'll say for people looking for a business to buy. Um, you know, you have to be able to buy in, a, in an industry where there aren't 5 million people bidding up every single small business. Like cybersecurity has been difficult for some people that I know that have been looking for a while because private equity keeps coming in. You, you got have a business that's netting four or $500,000 a year. They'd be willing to pay 10 times earnings for that. Yeah. Because they know they can grow it or they can roll it in or they can cross sell other cybersecurity services to the clients that that company already has. It's, it's, it's crazy. So, you know, don't, don't get too hung up on a specific industry. If you look into it and either you don't think you can be passionate about it or there's too, you know, um, the, the valuations are too high and they're, they're just not logical and you're not going to get something done. Don't, you know, don't feel bad about looking at other spaces. I mean, I, I did too. I, I felt bad about wasting four to five months looking at a different area of healthcare acquisitions uh before realizing like hey this isn't going to be something that really fits um but you know I, I learned a lot about how that particular area of healthcare worked and i ended up buying a business in a you know in another area of healthcare so yeah it's, it's interesting you see with the rv parks there are five thousand rv parks in florida alone can you believe that five thousand that's just in one state in the usa but um, yeah, there's so much opportunity out there, guys, and uh, just don't get hung up on one particular industry. No, I just yeah. want to uh, yeah, go ahead. Oh yeah, I was just going to ask too because I think um, so with the and you, you guys obviously with your experience, the baby boomers right now, right? Uh, and just putting myself in a business owner's mindset now that I have taking say I didn't I didn't know anything about LBOs. Going with what I went through where they shut my business down during the C word, right? We lost 78% of our revenue. We were able to easily transition online and we exploded, right? So we were very lucky because we transitioned. So we we made the switch. But other entrepreneurs I talked to are living a completely different paradigm, right? They're fearful right now. They're trying to survive. They're getting PPP loans. They're getting all this you know, stimulus to keep their business alive. They're basically a zombie company. And so is it a great time, right? Do, do, are, do you think baby boomers are feeling the same way right now? They're like, man, I... I nobody's going to buy my business or is there an abundance of people going out there trying to buy their businesses? That's like, what is the mindset you guys being in the game of these baby boomers sitting there? You know, so, so I was talking to somebody about a, a septic company, right there. Uh, they clean septics. I'm like, Oh, that's genius. Like they had the, the monopoly of the market and the guys, you know, the lady was saying the guy's tired. He's like going on 75 years old. He, you know, he's drinking by two o'clock in the afternoon, but it's cash flow, just constant cash flow. I was like, I need to talk to him. <laughs> so it's like, next time you go do your septic payment, please send me to do the septic payment. I need to talk to this guy because immediately I thought LBO, he's tired. He wants out of the business and he only accepts cash. So I'm that he's probably smart. It's probably low debt, high cash flow. So the beautiful thing about watching this and learning from guys like you is your, your brain changes. I'm talking to this lady. She's just brought up a septic guy that was, she's in real estate. And I'm like, immediately my brain thought, what's this guy doing? Like, she's like, Oh, he has the, you know, he, she is the word monopoly. He has the market monop monopoly and he only accepts cash he hates debt and i'm like 
LBO. <laughs> I'm like, how can and you're, you're always going to have septic tanks here in this area and up north, right? So, well, how how are the the baby boomers feeling right now? Do they feel like are people rushing to buy their businesses? No, a lot of a lot of times you actively, you know, honestly, if, if you got a hundred small business owners on the phone, you know, five million in revenue and under, and you just called them and said, Hey, I'm interested in buying a business in, you know, whatever industry it is like septic tank cleaning. That, that sounds like a genius business, by the way, because that's, I had one of those businesses. Um, yeah. Emptying septic tanks, making a fortune. I think we're charging like 500 bucks to, to is it 500 bucks, a thousand bucks. It was, no, it was about a thousand, a thousand pounds we're charging to empty a tank. It was big, big profit in emptying septic tanks. We're doing the septic tanks, jetting the drainage, uh, big money in the drainage, jetting a uh, CCTV pipeline inspections. Like I was, I'm not a drainage engineer, but I had one of those businesses. You know, like we're, I'd, I had a huge big tanker that's emptying the septic tanks. I made a fortune in the, drain, uh, the drainage business. Yeah, fortune. yeah. So, I mean, for, for that, I mean, if you called 100 guys like that, JV, I, I, you know, maybe 15, 20 of them, they've received a letter or I've gotten a call from like a business broker. But the chances that they have actually received a direct contact from someone who said, I'm specifically interested in buying you know, a business like yours and your size range, very low, very, very low. And so a lot of people think that, and I think part of this is just because there's, there's a bit of an echo chamber of the online community of like doing business acquisitions. Like you have a, a false sense of how many people are in it because yeah. all the people you deal with are there. You, you forget that there's millions of business owners across the country who, who've never heard from someone who wants to buy their business. Most Two million on most the open businesses market. do not successfully transition because they either, you know, they, they, they don't know how to sell it. They don't know how to call a broker. They don't do that. Or they, or they try to, uh, they, they try to transfer the business to their kids and their kids don't want it. And the kids start running it downhill. And then, you know, who knows, they just ruin the business. There's so many businesses that just get, um, to just close. You know, I, we had a guy come in recently. He wants financing to help open a, a franchise location, a couple of franchise massage locations. He does pretty well with a commercial landscaping yep. business. Now he takes home about 250, 300 a year. And, um, I just got to ask them, you know, how much time are you going to have to run this business and the franchises once you set them up? Uh, you know, he's, he's a youth mid fifties. He wants to get to the point where he's making half a million a year passively off the franchises and just kind of retire. And I asked him, what are your plans with this, uh, this commercial landscaping business? He's taking home 200, $250,000 a year. There's about a quarter million dollars of equipment with it. And he said, I was probably just going to, once the franchises were set up, I was probably just going to close it and sell the equipment. Yeah. And, and so, people are not going to pay $250,000 for the equipment. He'd probably be lucky to get like 60 grand for the equipment. So I was like, I, I'm kind of sitting here scratching my head, like, well, I could probably broker this deal out to somebody <clears throat> who, you know, um, they might not have a lot of cash to put down, but let's say they put down $25,000 and they pay you $300,000, $400,000 over the next couple of years. Would you be interested in that? He's like, yeah, let's, let's get the financing together for these franchise locations. And then we'll talk about that because he's tired. He doesn't want to run it all day, right? A lot of people, they're in these businesses. Now, obviously I wouldn't want to buy that business. It, it's, it, it wouldn't be a good fit for where I am in my life. I, I'm not going to go move to South Carolina to, you know, run a business that I take home 200, $250,000 a year for. But if, if you're just getting into the game, that is the perfect first deal to get into because it's small enough to where, you know, a, a big investment group, they're, they're not going to buy a $200,000 no. a year net income landscaping business, right? That's, that's something you got to really be willing to put your hands on. But if you get into that business, you roll up your sleeves, you know, you really work on it, you run it for a while. Um, and then 
you know, you, let's say you get that up to 500,000 a year's net, you get it on autopilot, you can start taking some cash out, put it in properties or put it in other stuff or just look for other acquisitions and, you know, just repeat the cycle. But like, the key thing is just get in the game as quick as you can. Don't don't sit here and fret because you can't get a $20 million acquisition done. Just go get a small thing done first, right? And, you know, use that as a, as a springboard to bigger and better things. I mean, that's kind of what I've done. You're right as well. Because uh, most businesses, they don't transition, they just close. And we're speaking about that uh, in the last uh, uh, bootcamp session that the average business broker, if a business reaches as far as a broker, they will sell an average of one to two out of 20 businesses globally. That is a global industry average. Mm-hmm. Um, and usually a business will only get listed via a business broker if the broker has approached the business owner directly to get them listed for a multiple that they'll probably never sell that business for anyway. So uh, yeah. yeah, you're absolutely correct with that one. Yeah. And, and a lot of times these brokers, they kind of, they kind of do the business owner as a disservice because they, they sell them this pie in the sky value this this overinflated valuation of what their business is worth just so they can get the contract to be listed with them. And a lot of times these contracts are not fair to the business owner, because even if that business owner wanted to sell that business to someone that approached them directly, they would still have to pay the fee to the broker. So a lot of times that's kind of the, the game that these brokers play. It's, it's very dishonest. It's a scam. It's a complete and utter scam. My very first business that I uh, bought the cleaning company, they phoned me and said, we're looking at listing some cleaning companies. Um, Could we come and give you a free valuation for your business? I thought, okay, that's nice. It's not going to cost, is it going to cost me anything? No. So they came to my office and I remember I was sitting there, they're looking through all my financials and they said, okay, Mr. Ken, your business is worth, and I remember the figure because um, it was like 750,000 pounds. I was 22 years of age. So back then that was a lot of fucking money. I'm thinking, wow, I buy a Ferrari, I can buy a villa, I can retire, I can move to Spain. Then I thought, shit, wait a second. I was looking to buy a business. I never started this business, and there's no way that I would pay that much money for this business that I've got. So I thought, what's the catch? Um, so, uh, okay, Mr. Ken, the listing fee was X amount of money. I can't remember how much it was. $10,000 $10, down. It something. was a lot of money. It was way too much money. And then there was a monthly retainer that I had to pay as well. I thought, right, you just you just overvalued my business. And uh, and they've said, oh, but they're all listed for that. It's because you've bullshitted every single person that you've listed in your um, uh, your newspaper that's Just listing all of these businesses. For that doesn't mean they're actually selling for that. And that's what you got to ask. What are these things actually selling for? And more often than not, it's going to be you know half of what these people. Business put brokers are scammers, baby. If you are a <laughs> business broker watching this right now, stop scamming the people. Go buy your own businesses. Do some exactly. LBOs. <laughs> get in the game, baby. Get in the game. Well, this has been amazing. This has been amazing. I'm just so honored to to run with both you guys and you know to hear from both you guys. And I think the biggest thing that I hope people take away from this is that it is possible for you. I think what what the society has created this overarching that it's so far away that the one percent controls all the wealth. And what we're working to teach you guys is stop being an armchair quarterback. Get in the game, warrior. Stop watching other people and complaining about the nefarious activities and the rich people are doing this and the rich people are doing that will become the richest person in the world and change the narrative that's the only option you have right now but i'm going to continue to say it 
there's no, never going to be a time like this in human history again for us, for us personally, right? And it's nothing new under the sun, whereas these opportunities come up. And so what I've learned from you guys, I want to recap quite a few things. Number one is to not get too um, too caught up in, like, I got to get this big deal. Just get a deal under your belt. Number two is understand that you don't have to have all the answers. We've been teaching you that for a long time, whereas you don't have to have all the answers. All you have to have is the willingness to succeed, the willingness to learn, and the willingness to connect with people. For example, don't went to Dubai, hanging out with Ken, I met more connections. I have more friends now uh, that have connections to money and finances than I've ever had before just by going to Dubai, meeting Ken, meeting all the contacts. So the more people you talk to, practice getting out, out there in front of people, asking questions, you know, don't be afraid to fail as well. So um, I want to kick it back over to you guys. I know we're coming up on the hour here. So um, anything else you guys want to cover? Um. We, we had some topics. Let's run through them, see if there's anything else we wanted to, uh, to, to jump into. Um, I, I, I kind of wanted to talk just a little bit about SBA financing. You know, if anyone's got an acquisition that they're working on or something, uh, now is probably one of the best times, sort of, you know, like three months ago when they paid the first three months of the loan for you. They're not doing that anymore, but, you know, uh, it, it's, it's still lowest rates you'll have in a, you know, for a while. But, um, you know, if, if you have a business that you're looking at buying and you think you would need to be getting a loan for it, all you need to be able to do is if you don't have related or direct experience in that kind of business, you just need to be able to bring in a partner who can help run it. Sometimes you can bring in the, uh, the general manager. If you give the general manager five to 10% of the business of the business you're buying, sometimes that's enough to get the bank comfortable. So you don't have, that solves the experience problem. Okay. Well then where are we going to get the down payment? We need 10% down. Well, it doesn't all have to be your cash. You could put in five to $10,000 on a, let's say a $700,000 acquisition and get the remaining 60,000 from an investor. They can take another 10% of the business and you can buy them out later, you know, at a, at a slight premium. And so, you know, what, what two barriers that, you know, everyone's, oh, I don't have money or I don't have experience in that space. You get someone else who's got the experience and you get someone else who's got the money if you don't have it to, for the down payment, and you just move on to the next deal. I mean, I, I think the biggest thing that I've learned doing what I do is, it's, you have to think divergently. You can't think like linear, like in a straight line, like, oh, well, I don't have this, therefore roadblock. Okay, well, I'm here and I want to get here. How do we get there if these are the roadblocks? Well, there's other paths to get there. It's not, it's not the, there's not, not only one way to get through the forest. There's lots of ways to get through the forest. And I, I think a lot of people get hung up on that because they're like, oh, well, I don't have money. Or I don't have this or that. Well, you know, that makes it tougher. If you had experience and money and you want to go buy a business, yes, it would be easier, but you can get around it. You just have to work. You got to talk to a lot of people. You got to find the right partners, uh, both investors and people who can help with operations if you don't have this, that experience. But, um, you know, I, I don't know what else to tell you, except I got a $1.3 million loan at 19 to, to go buy my first business. And, you know, even saying it today to some people, they're like, that sounds crazy. I'm like, well, I have, I have the bank statements. I have everything to prove it. Like that deal happened, you know, um, so it's, it's really not that hard to buy these businesses. I think a lot of people, they oversight, you know, they psych themselves up and they, um, yeah, they overthink it. A lot of times they just overthink it, right? They, they oh, leverage buyout mergers, acquisitions. I work with a lot of people who don't come through formal M&A coaching or teaching or whatever, and they're still successful at buying a business, you know, because they understand it. I was had no coach or no they, mentor they, they or anything. Often, so, they often yeah. understand it even better because people who go through some of these other programs, I'm not going to name names online, but most of them aren't that good. Um, you know, they, they go through these formulas and think, well, it doesn't fit this exact path. Okay. Well, who cares? You know, 
you, you want to buy this business for a million dollars. You've been the general manager for four years. You've got a hundred thousand dollars you can put down. Well, just get a purchase agreement. Well, how do I draft that? Just, just go get a lawyer. The lawyer will do it. You know, people try to do too much in the process. And because of that, they get in their own way. You have to learn how to set everything up to where if you got knocked out and we're in a coma for two weeks, the world would continue without you. You need to set up the business, you know, in that way. Um, and so like, that's a lot of my approach these days is like making sure I have other people around me who can do stuff because I'm very bad at a lot of things. I'm very, very good at like a small circle and I, I stick with that, but everything else I suck at, I just have other people help me because otherwise I, I wouldn't get anywhere. <laughs> You're going to be like the speedboat so you can maneuver in and out. You're like, you don't want to be the cruise ship, you know, be overloaded. You want to be like the speedboat, yeah. just minimalistic and uh, you can maneuver in and out and get the people around you to help you. I've got a question for you, Josh. Yep. And uh, you know, Dan, Dan, let, let's speak about Dan Pena. How did you, at such a young age, hear about who Dan Pena was? Who, who gave you the idea of going to the castle? Yeah, I, um, I found him online through the Brian Rose interview, and oh, so nice, I nice. had, I had, I had been, um, I had been in some, uh, you know, other areas of business. I had a small e-commerce business. I'd been looking at getting into some other stuff, and I kind of realized that a lot of the you know, the entrepreneurship startup world, you know what I'm talking about? Yep. The people who are always online posting about, Oh, we're doing this, we're doing this. But like, when you get into it, they're not making any money. Yeah. Right. They, they, they would rather spend all this time making people think they're busy instead of actually doing something productive. So I saw that whole space and I, I kind of figured it was a scam because I'm like, none of these people are making any money. And yet they're all wanting to sell courses on, you know, mindset, this and bullshit that. And it's like, none of you are making any money. Why is anyone paying you? And so that's when I found Dan through the interview and I'm like, okay, this is someone who has done real transactions. I understand conceptually how M&A works because like you see it, you know, you read any sort of business um, news outlet, you hear about, oh, so-and-so is going to acquire this or so-and-so yeah. sold this. Like it happens all the time. It's, it's nothing, it's nothing new. Um, so that I, I heard about him from, from there and I, I reached out by email and, uh, I didn't get into the immediate next available seminar after I, I reached out, but I got into, I think the one after that. So I went like August, I don't know what year it was. I was uh, 17, right about to turn 18 is, is when I went. So I went there and I got the mentorship. I did go back in 2018 after I had bought the three businesses that um, I had. And, um, you know, I, 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 I very much enjoy a lot of his teaching. I think it's very refreshing. Um, I, have been able to glean the, the, the points that he makes and use it in my own style. It's one of the other things that I'll tell people too, is like everyone's style is a little bit different. Like I, I'm not, I'm not that kind of guy where I'm going to go run around and act crazy and scream. I mean, I'm very, you're not a mini Dan Pena. There's too many mini Dan Penas out there and you know, you've got to just be yourself because everybody else is already taken. And that's the problem that I see yeah. in this space is, is there's so many angry little men, ankle biter Dan Penas get out there. You just be happy. Don't shout at people. Stop trying to be so aggressive. Just be relaxed. Sit back. Put your dressing gown on. Put your slippers on and just go and do deals. You know, it's not, not all about suit and tie and, you know, looking like Mon the Monopoly man. Just want to chill out. And there's so many opportunities for a girl to have out there. And yeah, relax. What I think, too, is so powerful about this. Really, everybody watching this, think about this. Uh, Josh Kim is 24 right now. 24, right? So, 24 years old, right? So 24, you got uh, Ken Mac, 30, mid-30s, right? 
mid thirties. Okay. And I'm 45. So you have three different timelines right now going through three different experiences, right? I lost everything two years ago. I'm an ex banker being an ex banker executive. I actually had no idea about finance. I was fully indoctrinated in the system. I was broke. I was an executive who drove a 535 by BMW, big house, barely could afford to pay attention, right? Didn't know how money worked. I just kept spending money to impress people I didn't like, right? I get that from Gary Vay, but I was doing that very same thing. Got the shit kicked out of me starting startups, got punked, lost all my money again and started over two years ago. But all I did was I said, you know what? I'm going to stop listening to all these people who mentored me before that drove me into the ground. And I'm going to start watching what these big money people are doing. Who are the, they're, they're doing something completely different than the people I was talking to. And so I just started to change my frame of mind. So here I am at 45 years old, financially free now, built multiple companies at a seven figure company. And now I'm going into my LBO, first one in the pipeline. Um, and now just listening to you guys, it's neat to see the three different timelines, right? Different experiences, you know, homeschooled, Ken and I, we both worked at McDonald's when we were in high school. It's kind of like this all different thing. And I hope you guys can see that we're just normal, everyday people. And you can do the same thing. There's nothing different, right? I do have two college degrees. Well, I went to, uh, you know, I got a four-year degree in business management. I have an executive uh, banking certificate. All of it matters. Everything matters. Your lack of experience matters, too. It's just your willingness to find the right mentors, to read the right books, to keep pushing forward and to understand that you're going to make mistakes. I think that's the most powerful part. And this is a powerful, powerful interview. I know we're over an hour, guys, and I just want to say thank you. Uh, appreciate Josh Kim for coming on. Thank you, Ken, for absolutely changing my life. I know we're working very hard together. We do have a big announcement coming up next Monday. Very, very big announcement. You want to be on the show because one of the things we're finding that people are doing is um, – you know, we can teach you about LBOs or Ken. Sorry, Ken. I'm, I'm Mr. I'm Karate Kid, Mr. Miyagi. And so I want to do my respect. But um, me, you know, I'm an expert in cryptocurrency, getting your shit together, subconscious mind programming, you know, understanding how to get back up off your feet. Right. Or back up off your back. Excuse me. But what we're finding is people are trying to get into all this stuff and they're still eating the blue pill. It's like it's hard to to be stuck in that old paradigm frame of mind and move into this new thing because you got your parents, your grandparents, you're the system around you telling you that when you're going this way, it's not right. So you got these people pulling your legs back. And so what we're going to be teaching you guys is how to open up your mind. Like, what is the red pill? What does it look like? Right. And then you get a choice at the end to say, listen, you can go back to taking the blue pill. You can watch the media and you can follow this narrative or you can jump into the red pill knowing that there's going to be some resistance, but know that you're going to be uncomfortable either way, warriors. You're going to have the discomfort of going to your deathbed saying, I should have, I would have, I could have, and going back to your grandkids and saying, hey, make sure you follow your dreams, or you can have the discomfort of going after your dreams and learning and growing. That's what we're here to do as human beings. So I just want to say thank you to you guys. I appreciate you. I know we're at an hour uh, right now. So um, anything else before I let you guys go? I think I wanted to just... I, I, I only have one thing I wanted to touch on, kind of what you're talking about with mentors and stuff. I, I think one of the things that I... I realized, and it's, it's very important to keep this in mind, is there is an exponentially different um, layer, level of mentoring that you will get from someone who has, uh, you know, at the multi-hundred million dollar net worth level versus, you know, one to five million, right? You, you know, you've got people kind of like, I, I'd say it's buckets, right? You know, people that are worth between one and 10 million, they have a, you know, they have a limited degree of, of, of stuff. And you've got people kind of in the 20 to like 50 million range and then like above a hundred million. It's, it's, it's an entirely different level. And I know plenty of very smart people who have done well with their businesses. Um, you know, maybe in their fifties and they're worth like four or 5 million bucks, but 
the, the advice that you get from someone at that level is completely different than if you have a mentor or a relationship with someone who's worth multiple hundred million dollars, right? Just the level that they operate at in the world is entirely different. Like they understand things at a way more intricate level. And so, um, what I, what I would say is, and this is one of Dan's biggest things is if, if you want to be somewhere, right, find a mentor who's actually there. I'm not going to go ask someone who's worth seven to $10 million how to become worth a billion dollars because they're not there. I mean, I know there's plenty of people who, who, you know, who sneezed and woke up with seven, eight million million because they, they made some, uh, some well-timed bets on crypto, right? That's not something they can repeat. People who are at the multi-hundred million dollar level, they have a repeat, you know, oftentimes they have a repeatable process for building wealth. You can take all their money away and they can build it up again. A lot of people below and in, in, in lower net worth brackets, they can't necessarily say that, right? They, maybe they got stock options at a company that, that did very well and they were just a really good employee and they're worth 10, 15 million dollars. That person's point of view, that person's, you know, um, viewpoint on life is not going to be as insightful as someone who's, you know, at that multi hundred million dollar level. So just one thing I, I encourage people to be wary of as you're seeking out kind of like what you're saying. I mean, you were listening to a lot of people that end up driving you into the ground. I mean, if you, if you were able to go back and retrospect and like, look at that and say, why am I taking, you know, why am I taking input from this person? Why, why would I want to listen to them? Because they're not where I want to be. Right. And it might sound harsh to some people who you say like, Hey, I don't really give a shit what you think, but it's like, because you haven't done anything with your life. Like, why would I listen to you? And, um, yeah, the other thing I'll say too, is, you know, people who are really, really at that super high level, like if they tell you something, don't question it, just listen to them. Because the only reason they're telling you that kind of stuff is because they've been burned before. They've seen it before. They've seen the movie multiple times before. Right. And it's not going to be any different when you're there. Right. As much as you might want to say, well, it might be different because this, that, you know, maybe one in a thousand times, but you know, if someone's worth a couple hundred million bucks and they tell you, I think this is a bad, bad deal. I wouldn't go for it. Listen to it. Oh, I love that. I mean, like you said, like talking to Ken just the other day, I'll give you an example. I was like talking to him about my business, mentoring with them and stuff like that. And I was talking about getting 2 million next year. He's like 2 million. What, what do you mean 2 million? <laughs> he was like, you got to open up your mind. And then we went in this deep conversation about if you can hit the million, you're well over a million. You can hit the 10. He's like, why would you even think 2 million? And so it, I got off that call kind of shook and I was like, whoa, what am I thinking? And I just had to open up my reticular activating system to a new reality. But he also gave me steps, facts, figures, numbers, logic. If, if it's possible to get to a million, a million to 10, isn't that, it's not that big of a gap. Right. And so it was just that small push from a mentor to say, but if I was with a mentor that just had a million or below would be like, Hey, good job to get to 2 million. It was like 2 million. That doesn't make any sense. You already nailed a million, like 10 million is right there. Like it's, so those little things like that. Yeah. There's a scene from the movie, the, uh, the Incredibles, Yeah, you know, the one where they're talking about um, the parents are arguing and it's like, Oh, he's going from the fourth grade to the fifth, fifth grade. Keep finding new ways to celebrate mediocrity. I feel like a lot of people in business spend way too much time on social media posting about their business or this, that, mm -hmm. oh, wow, we just hit 100,000 on this. I, I mean, I, I know people 100,000, like, unless you're doing that a day, like, they're not going to pay you any attention because you're nobody, right? And so back to kind of what I was saying earlier about a lot of people, they want entrepreneurship. They, they keep focusing on the wrong things. Um that that's just kind of goes back to what you were saying on that. Just you've, you've got to have that mindset shift of people who really think about next level. How do we 10 X hundred X this business? Because if you're sitting around celebrating mediocrity of, Oh, wow. Well, hey, we hit 2 million. I'm not 
two million's mediocre, but yeah. you can do so much more. And that's kind of <clears throat> the mindset you have to have, even when shit's tough. Like, you know, even when you've got nothing to the bank and, and a lot of what Dan talks about is emotional fortitude, right? It's not about like actually having money because if you've got the right mindset, you've got the right emotional fortitude, you can take, you know, a fucking beating from life and still stand back up, keep going at it. You're going to, you're going to do well. And a lot of people, they just don't have that. They get hit once or twice and they just, they quit. They don't even get hit. They just, they can't get it done as fast as they want. It doesn't, you know, it's because they, it's because they feel intimidated. Um, and Dan speaks about one book and uh, I've got the book sitting beside me just now. And since we're on the topic, it's called Winning Through Intimidation. And what this book teaches you in life is about how not to be intimidated. It teaches you how to identify those who are trying to intimidate you. And this is how to be the victor, not the victim in business and in life. So I suggest that anybody who cannot read a book, they download the audio book. It's by Robert Ringer. Um, there's another good book for you guys to understand as well. It's called The Science of Getting Rich by Wallace D. Wattles. And what Wallace D. Wattles speaks about is how the rich get rich by doing things in a certain way. So first of all, understanding um, how not to be intimidated and what's trying to intimidate you in life. Number one. Number two is how to replicate the success of the wealthy, to copy and paste and do things in a certain way. So these are two very good books that you guys can go away with and, uh, and start your journey now because, you know, why you wait until tomorrow? Download that audiobook right now on iBooks or Audible or whatever application that you use and start now. I love it. That was a great way to end, Warriors. So we appreciate you all for listening in. But next Monday, you need to be on Warriors. We're going to make a huge announcement. All we're going to do is come here every single Monday throughout the week to open up your mind and awareness to the possibilities for you, you as a human being. You 207 people who are still on here and people that watch in the future, you are the generational shifter. I want you to understand that. It takes one person in a timeline to make the decision. It's not the environment. What is the environment you're around? But there's nobody outside of you holding you back from being whoever you want to be. It's you. So it's time to look inside the mirror, get the right mentors, pick up the right books, keep coming back to this channel, check out our podcast. This will be on our podcast as well. We love you guys very, very much. We want to say warriors rise. Make sure you get your shit together.